Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F. That's F as in Frank. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Tuesday, January 29th, 2019, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's Story on Page 3. The second paragraph, which begins with, My drinking assumed more serious proportions. We will be reading and commenting on two paragraphs, ending at the top of page four with, Out of, this, out of his till with amused skepticism. Today's readers are Laura A., Elaine H., Vinnie T., Devorah S., and Sally P., the share ID numbers for yesterday, Monday, January 28, 2019's special edition meetings are 12469. That's 12,469 for 7 a.m. Eastern Time and 12470. That's 12,470 for 10 a.m. Eastern Time. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Laura A. to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning. This is Laura A., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New Hampshire. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Then, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11. Taught through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for letting me do service at Pat. Thank you for doing service, Laura A. I will now ask Elaine H. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Hi, this is Elaine H. I'm going to read oh, excuse me, the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous accepting matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message, excuse me, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or proceeds divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized. Oh, excuse me. But we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, O readers anonymous have no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policies based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. Every reminder has to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Elaine H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 1, Bill's Story, on page 3, the second paragraph, which begins with, My Drinking Assumed More Serious Proportions. We will be reading and commenting on two paragraphs ending at the top of page 4 with, Out of His Till, with Amused 
skepticism. I will now ask Vinnie T to go ahead and read that for us. Vinny, we don't hear you. Uh, can you hear me now? Hi, Vinny. I hear you now. Uh, so I'm reading the first paragraph here? You're reading the second paragraph on page three, okay. beginning with uh, my drinking. Sorry. And the following one. I'm Vinnie T. from North Carolina, recovered uh, compulsive overeater. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The the (laughs) (laughs) remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife helped at times by extreme drunkenness kept me out of those scrapes. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning. Golf permitted drinking every night, every day and every night. It was fun to caroom around the exclusive course, which I ha- which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, like Bill, I had arrived, uh, as it said in the previous paragraph, and uh, I, uh, my serious eating really took off after marriage, um, and my solution to, you know, the disaster of my marriage was to live alone. I wasn't going to, you know, impose myself on anyone else. I was very, uh, very successful at work. Um, so for those 10 hours or so of the day, I was fine. But then when I came home, uh, I just isolated and ate and ate and ate. Um, Interpose, you know, first with, you know, 25 years of dieting, uh, trying every single thing up, down, up, down. And when I was you know, at a lower weight, I tried the social scene, you know, and went out to bars and, and you know, events and everything. But uh, in no time, I'd be right back up there and back by myself again. And uh, it just uh, it just got worse and worse and worse. And, um, you know, I had no solution. I didn't have OA. Uh, I did have therapy. I, you know, I tried everything, but uh, nothing worked. And I went on like that for oh, until about 2005, I guess. And uh, oh, then I had my uh, the worst binge I had ever had in my life. I I got to rock bottom, and uh, I had I just ate everything that was in the house until I really thought that I was going to die. I I just 
sat on my bed and waited to die in pain because my stomach was so full I thought it was going to burst. And, uh, you know, that, that feeling, like Harlan says, you know, goes away in about eight seconds. Well, you know, this was a serious binge, so it, it probably lasted 10 minutes, and then I was right back up at the refrigerator again. So, uh, yes, I identify with this assumed serious proportions. It certainly did for me. And I'm so grateful now to have found this solution. I found my higher power. And my life uh, is not totally in order, that's for sure. I'm still a procrastinator, but uh, I'm working on that. And, y'all, thank you very much. I pass. Thank you, Vinny T., for getting us started. Who would like to share on these right paragraphs? Harlan G. Kim, right Kim G. from South Jersey. Monica Okay, T. let me just Florida. tell you who I've written down so far. Matt M., Harlan G., Kim, G, and Monica. Rasa O. Rasa O. Nancy T. Nancy T. Okay, why don't we go with this group of six. Matt M, Harlan G, Kim G, Monica, Vasa O, and Nancy T. Matt M, please go right ahead. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M, compulsive over here from New Jersey. Yes, uh, here we see uh, Bill's uh, drinking is still in a, he's in a honeymoon phase. Still, so it's really not um, affecting him that much. They still have their sumptuous apartment. They're still living well to do. You know, this is like the, the calm before the storm. In the next few paragraphs, we'll see how fast the deterioration goes. And that was me. Like, you know, I, I was able to eat with impunity. I got up to almost 700 pounds. But I was still able to function. I was still a functioning alcoholic with food. I was able to get in the car and squeeze my heavy, fat stomach behind the steering wheel. It was rubbing up against the steering wheel, barely able to turn it, but I was still going to dry stairs and going to the stores and getting the food or having it come to me. It was much more easier to have the food come to me so I didn't have to drive. And I had a host of fair-weather friends. It was amazing how my life was so, like, you know, I thought it was, like, the best thing in the world, and it really wasn't. I learned a lot quicker, like, what it was like when the depression hit, when the other shoe dropped. When I didn't want to leave the house, when I had the shades drawn, I unplugged the phone. I lost my cable because I couldn't afford to pay it. I was sitting there alone, isolated from the rest of the world, just waiting for the doorbell to ring for the food to get there. Not a nice feeling. And uh, I I definitely don't want to go back there. I don't like that isolation that I self-imposed, that I put myself through, cutting myself off from the rest of the world. And uh, Bill's going to see very soon that uh, um, how much drinking really means to him. It means more to him than anything. His health, his place of living, his wife, everything, his friends, it means more to him than anything in the world. And that's what food was to me. It meant more to me than anything in the world. It was my saving grace. I thought it was the best thing in the world to me. And it stopped. It's a rapacious creditor that just takes, 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 and gives nothing back in return except more misery and confusion and sorrow. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Madam. Harlan G., before you take your turn, let me just tell anyone who got on late that we we read two paragraphs starting at the bottom of page three, the second paragraph, My Drinking Assumed, and two paragraphs to the top of four. Go ahead, Harlan G. Thank you. 
Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for your service. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Let's take a look at what's going on here in just one paragraph. We just finished yesterday that Bill, his opinions were being followed by the to, to the tune of paper millions. He's making a lot of fair-weather friends. Fair-weather friends are not true friends. They're not real. They're hanging out with him because he is just very, very successful, and they're hoping that some of it will rub off on them, quite honestly. But in any highly abusive relationship, the abuser, as a matter of first action, will amputate the abused from any support. They will isolate you. And what's happening here? His drinking assume more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances, remonstrances are protestations of my friends, terminated in a row. What's a row? A row is a quarrel. So what's happening here? People are getting on him saying, Bill, we're relying on you. We need you. We want your opinion. But every time we go to ask you something, you're drunk. What's going on here? And what does he do? Rather than gravitate to everything he had ever wanted, the money, the friends, the people, what does he do? He becomes a lone wolf. So can I relate to Bill Wilson? You bet I can. Because when push came to shove, when push came to shove, I chose Reese's Peanut Butter Cups Kit Kat bars, and because it's going to be February Thin Mints, I chose those things over everything and anything I ever wanted. And what's happening domestically? His marriage is imploding. He's having many fights with Lois. Lois loved him. Let's, you know, we're going to be covering some ground here where that may not be so apparent. Lois loved him, and he loved Lois. And now he's saying there was no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. As was alluded to yesterday, there's a book called As Bill Sees It and one called As Lois Remembers. And this is a place where they're not always the same. What happened also was the Burnhams, Lois was a Burnham, we'll get into that tomorrow, it's same bat time, same bat channel, but Lois's family, the Burnhams, Dr. Burnham had a place in the country. So when Bill would start drinking in the city, they would go to the country. When he'd start drinking in the country, they'd go back to the city. If you're coming to the Vision Convention in November, we're taking a little side trip to 182 Clinton Street. We'll show you where that house was exactly. You can stand on that stoop, but you got to tune in tomorrow first. Same bat time, same bat channel. With that, I'll pass. Rebecca, thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Kim G. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. More serious proportions. You know, this is describing the progression of the illness. What we're going to see here is Bill going from excitement to necessity to oblivion. So the question is, how do I see that in my own life? You know, one of the ones that pops out for me is Halloween. Halloween was so much fun as a kid with the costumes and running around the neighborhood and and getting the candy and stuff. But then by a teenager, it was getting more and more about the candy. I hated costumes because I was the fat kid, never looked good in any costumes. And by the time that I'm an adult, 
what Colomine meant was to buy the candy six weeks ahead of time because it's a good deal and having to replace it at five weeks, four weeks, three weeks until finally it is Halloween. I'm in my condo hoping to God no kids ring the doorbell because I just want to sit home and, and binge on the candy. You know, the big thing for me, which I'm seeing for Bill and was for me, is that food was social. It was fun. And then it started to develop as it'll quell my social anxiety because I'm feeling so awkward until finally the food was totally about isolation. You know, when I think about my memories of my family, my grandmother is butterscotch candy. My cousins in Virginia are Pop-Tarts. My aunt up in upstate Pennsylvania, she used to time it so that when we walked in the door, she'd be pulling the rice pudding out of the oven, and I can picture it in my mind. But i got to tell you, I can't even picture what my aunt looks like. You know, babysitting jobs were, were chosen because of what was in the pantry, not what the kids were like. You know, I went from going into Philadelphia to the, the hoity-toity restaurants to have the fancy desserts and maybe going to a high-class bakery to after being in OA and being in relapse, going into Walmart, trying to buy the store brands because I could get more of it and looking around to see if I see any OA people before I get in line because I don't want anyone to see me buying my binge foods. That's what we're looking at. Are, do we identify in? You know, when he's playing golf, I'm going to – I don't know Bill, but I think that Bill might have been picking golf because he could openly drink. That's what I think. I know for myself. How do I do that? When my friends had house parties, I was going to Dove Chocolate and Pampered Chef. I could care less about the, the jewelry parties. You know, if, you're, if your kid is playing, you know, baseball, are you selling the snacks or are you, telling, are you selling the T-shirts? I know for myself and the sorority, I always sold the M&Ms. I never sold all the other stuff. And I have to tell you, I didn't sell M&Ms. I bought all the M&Ms because I wound up binging on them as I felt insecure in my sorority. So that is what this is telling us. So it's not only do I see the roller coaster, the progression of Bill's illness, but do I see it in my own life? And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim G. Monica. Is it T? Good morning, Rebecca. Monica. Yes, Monica T from Florida. Right. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everybody. Hey, yeah, I think everything that I was thinking about being said has already been said. The following uh, <clears throat> those two wonderful readers or speakers before me here. Anyway, my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. And in this paragraph, as I've been said, I'm, I'm repeating things here, I see a lot of progression of his disease, and I can relate too. You know, what am I seeing here? Progression into isolation, progression of loss of friends, progression in deterioration of his marriage, and um, there were a lot of unhappy scenes. You know, I became a lone wolf. So how do I relate to that? Well... You know, when uh, I was into the food and getting fatter and fatter and nothing fit, and well, I wouldn't want to go to anywheres with my husband. I wouldn't want to go to parties because I didn't have anything to wear. You know, it's my excuse. Um, um, you can go. It's okay. You know, of course. Yeah, let him go. Then I could binge because he wasn't around. Um, and then when he's going um, to the golf thing. Here's another delusion, you know. Oh boy, look at me here, you know. I can do I can do anything. Oh, and um, I was thinking, well, little boy, look at me. I've gone to a um 
some place here and I've lost all this weight and I've become an employee of this and I'm a lecturer. Well, look at me, everybody. You know, I got the, I've got the, the, the skinny body and I can say all the right words, but hey, I'm still bringing my brains out. So I was still using food as a solution and this is what Bill is doing. And it's causing physical problems. He's becoming jittery in the morning. Yeah, physical problems. You know, when you're over 200 pounds, there's some physical problems. And I started looking at uh, joints hurting, and I became pre-diabetic, and I ended up with some cardiac issues. But, oh, it's okay. You know, my food was still my solution and my comfort. So progression, progression. And it's always amazing to me how... You know, we read this and it sounds, oh my God, how awful this is. And then you go on to the next paragraph and it gets worse. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Monica B. Vasa O. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Rebecca. Ask for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater calling from Port Charlotte, Florida. Yep, my eating, I was 15 years old when my compulsive eating started when we came to America and we discovered all these wonderful, delicious foods and uh, we ended up staying with our aunt when we came um, for the first five or six months and I remember her taking us to stop and shop, myself and my brother, and she just told us to put whatever we wanted to put in the wagon. It was, it was just unbelievable. The freedom I could, you know, we could eat all those foods that tasted so delicious. And I gained 20 pounds in one month. I had no clue. I had a disease. I had no clue over the years about the allergy until I came to uh, OA, till I was introduced to the big book. Um, and the progression became worse, you know, and, uh, you know, with every pregnancy, I gained probably like my first one, I was probably 45, 50 pounds, and the excuse was I'm eating for two, you know, and with each pregnancy, it was harder to take the weight off. No matter how hard I tried, you know, the doctor would tell me, you know, you can't, this is too much. In those days, you couldn't gain more than 10 or 15 pounds, you know, and here, you know, my blood pressure was getting sky up there. And it was progressive, you know. And um, I remember by the time I came to Overeaters Anonymous, uh, eating like one meal a day. My husband said, yes, you eat one meal a day. You start in the morning and you graze all day long. And then when I went to bed, I'd finish and then I would go to the, where I would wake up during, in the middle of the night, oh, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'd go and check the refrigerator. So I have I had been fighting this food addiction for many years, but I did not know. I didn't know anything about allergy. I didn't know anything about the mental obsession. I had no clue. And uh, yes, it was going to kill me. I was developing. Um, uh, the progression became. I was developing uh, physical problems, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes on the borderline. And also hiding my body. I didn't feel good about myself, you know. I felt fat. I didn't want to go to the parties and, you know, and and mingle and be with other women, especially 
they were thinner than I was, and I'd compare myself. And I started living in isolation. It was a horrible place to live in. So I'm grateful that I was let into Overeaters Anonymous, and I found out what the problem was, what the solution was. I was so relieved. Okay, I'll wrap it up. They told me if I did all those things, and, you know, I'll be relieved from the compulsion, and my life will get better in every area. And it has. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Nancy T. Good morning. Thank you, Rebecca. Nancy T., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Lewiston, Idaho, this morning. Boy, this first line, I think every single one of us who have shared so far, and probably most of us on the line can relate to my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. And I remember when that happened for me. I was um, I was in college and um, planning my, my career and what I wanted to do, and I had joined, I remember I joined Weight Watchers, my last little stint in college because my weight had been climbing and I lost 50 pounds right before I graduated. And so that just boosted me back up there like, Bill, I was on top of the world. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be successful. And, um, you know, I may have had remonstrances for my friends, for my family, from any number of people, you know, concerned about my weight. You know, you might want to do this diet. You might want to watch your weight. You know, you don't have the greatest back. But I, I didn't hear any of it. It was just all went right in one ear and out the other. And, you know, then I became a lone wolf. That That is where my disease took me. I'm a very social person. I love to be around people. I'm definitely an extrovert. But when I am in the cusps of my disease, I sit in my living room with the curtains drawn, screening phone calls with my binge food all around me, and I do not answer the phone. I do not answer the door. I just sit there, and it's just me and the food because, don't you know, nobody else understands. And so here I went from graduating on top of the world. Um, I'm a court reporter now. Boy, howdy, I'm successful. I'm considered an officer of the court, don't you know? And, you know, it reminds me of Bill because in that second paragraph, even though Bill's having his drinking is almost every day now, he's having fights with Lois constantly, um, he became a lone wolf, he's still um, striving to be at the top there. He's, uh, like Harlan alluded to, he's very successful. He's, you know, got fat checks in and out of the bank. So he's in denial. What I wrote after that second paragraph was I was still in denial. I thought I was on top of the world. So I still thought I was all that. I'm working as a court reporter. I'm successful. I went back to church because I really felt like God was leading in life. But here my weight is ballooning up to 372 pounds, my top weight. I had no clue. Um, but it, it's just, it just never ceases to amaze me. Um, the this disease and the way that it just takes over our lives, and that's what it did to mine. And it took a long time before I realized, oh, my gosh, I think I have a problem with food. Um, but uh, so I really, really identify with Bill in these two paragraphs because that was my story, too. While I'm ballooning up to 372 pounds, I'm thinking that I'm on top of the world, and I certainly was not, but... Um, it's all about me, me, me when we're in the, when we're in it, and we can't see the truth from the false. So, um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Nancy T. Again, we read from the bottom of page three, 
my drinking assumed more serious proportions for two paragraphs. Who would like to share on those two paragraphs? Larry Kay. Tina S. Tina S. I heard heard Larry K. Did I hear Tina S? Kelly. Maybe Leia, S. Tina S. Leia, Leia S. Tina S. Leia, Leia, Leia M. Leia. I did hear Tina S. Kelly S. Yeah. Lisa Candy S. S. Wait a minute. Kelly. And Leia also. <laughs> uh, I have two Leias, Leia S and Leia M. Is there a third Leia? Lisa no, J. Lisa J. I'm going to make room for one more if possible. Did you get Kelly? I did. Sandy, yes. Okay. I have Sandy. Okay, so maybe this is it. Larry K, Leia S, Leia M, Tina S, Kelly S, Sandy S, and Lisa J. Did I miss someone who tried to get in there? Okay. It's meant to be then. Linda R. Larry K, Linda R., Thank you. Okay, if there's time. Thank you. Larry Kay, go right ahead. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks so much. Larry Kay, uh, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Yeah, I can relate to a number of things here. Uh, for the next few years, fortune through money and applause my way, I had arrived. Um, yeah, I was, I was whirling. I was. I was whirling fat checks in and out. And... Um, Boy, that that felt good, but it didn't feel nearly as good as the exhilaration that I felt from um, from the food. There was trem- that was the only thing that I, I had that sort of anticipatory exhilaration even before I ate the food. If I knew it was on its way or I was on its way towards it, we were chasing each other, and oh boy, was that exhilarating! It was. It took on a. And, and over time, it took on greater and greater proportions. I'll give you an example. I remember as I'm whirling these fat checks in and out, I had some fair weather friends. I had uh, one night, we did this many times, eight, eight of us guys, eight of us compulsive overeaters perhaps. I know I was one of them. We would go out for dinner. And we, oh, it was on. It was on. And it was, you know, it was uh, steaks and it was this and it was that and it was drinks. And, and what we would do is we would, um, at the end of the night, we would all grab our credit cards and we would hand it to the, uh, to the waiter. And we would ask him or her to, you know, kind of shuffle up the cards and one by one without looking, pull out one card. Oh, you're safe. And then the next card. Ooh, phew, I'm safe. And then the next and the next. And finally, the last card that's left is the one that's going to pay the bill. And don't you know that it, that it was me one time? And that was about a $600 bill. And can I tell you, my wife, she was just delighted to see that I had spent $600 in a night. I, was, I had a case of big shotism. Can you relate at all? Can anyone relate to that big shotism? That was part of it, too. And yes, there were lots of rows. There was lots of arguments and concerns. And food did keep me out of scrapes. There was lots of opportunity for infidelity. And the food was perhaps the only thing that kept me out of the scrapes because that would always trump, the food would always trump anything else. I don't care what it was. The food would trump that. 
And so my life got, you know, continued. You know, there was some talk about the progression of this disease. Yes, it progressed. And there was more isolation over time. And eventually it was just me in a, in a nice hotel and, and my best friend was the vending machine. And God forbid my food, my several items didn't come down. I'll shake that machine to its core. This was the man that I was, you know, and um, the disease uh, just ripped me to shreds over the years. And I continued to eat and I continued to isolate and I continued to eat in more isolation. Thank God for this. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank God for this, um, for this transformation that changed me. I'm not that man anymore. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry K. Leah S. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Good morning, everybody. This is Leah S. Recovered in Brooklyn. The remonstrances of my friend, of my friends. I had grievances with everyone. Bill, he was going up and down, up and down. Oh, how unstable. One minute he wants to he wants to get out of this 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 terrible terrible disease, and the next minute he's on a high because he's doing things that are gonna keep him there, and his illusions are taking him to the heights that we cannot even imagine or can imagine. Um, I also I had an issue with everyone and everything. And what they're telling me in this program is that I'm going to find the happy medium. Who, it didn't make sense to me, but it, it gave me hope. It gave me so much inspiration. I'm going to find a happy and healthy boundary. I'm not going to go up and down. I'm not going to want the entire uh, uh, pie. I'm not going to want... I'm not going to want to have these things. Whoever even thought of such a thing, it didn't even occur to me. I'm going to be able to walk down the street and with the people that I, I used to avoid, I'm going to be able to really sincerely greet them and go on. Wow, this is what this program has done to me. And this is where I'm coming from, a lone wolf where I really wanted not only to isolate from my friends, but I wanted, I just wanted to be with my food all the time. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Leah S. Leah M. Thank you for your service. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. I was 23 years of age. I was newly married. I was in OA for almost five years at that point. I was having a rage. I couldn't stand myself. I couldn't stand my life. I, hadn't, I, I, I could not believe uh, that my disease and my life had rotted to the point of throwing dishes and, you know, picture frames at walls and screaming at the top of my voice. You know, Bill, he's driven, he's intelligent, he's charismatic. God obviously gave him numerous skills to utilize. 
you know, my book teaches me that we often possess special abilities, skills, and aptitudes, and we have promising careers, but we use those gifts to build up, you know, a bright outlook, and then we pull the whole structure down upon ourselves and all those who love us. That's my story. That's my story, graduating early from high school, getting into an Ivy League school. But you know what? <laughs> you know, you can run, but you cannot hide because wherever you go, there you are and there is the disease. And as the disease slowly continued to tighten its grip around my neck, my life got smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, we talk about promises of recovery. There's promises of disease. Oh, yes, there are promises of this disease. Isolation, deep depression, suicidal thinking. Bill's not there yet. He's going to get there because the consequences of this illness become worse. It, like, snuffs out your life, and it wears you out, and it wears out the people who love you and who care about you, family and friends. This disease touched every single facet of my life. It rotted every part of my life, my emotional well-being, my spiritual health, my physical well-being, whether it was anorexic, bulimic, compulsive overeating, relationships with family members, significant others, my interactions with society in general. There were legal concerns because my, my, my morality was in, in the gutter. Employment, you know, there was no... Uh, no consistency there, my finances. I was in a trap I could not spring. This was self-will run riot. I did not know, I did not know, I did not know that there was going to be a power out there greater than myself that was going to be a safe harbor, a refuge for someone like me, that was going to give me the ease and comfort that I so desperately needed and kept trying to find in bakery boxes and cellophane bags. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Leah M. Tina S. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Wow, some great stuff this morning. So grateful to be on the line. And I'm so grateful that we do this 164 pages or more over and over, you know, so I remember where I came from, you know, because I can easily forget that, you know, my drinking, eating assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. And, you know, I, too, was the one that I was either in the food or I wasn't eating at all. You know, there was no balance. And, um, you know, I can remember being in high school and, you know, how they weighed you. Out, you know, everybody got in class, got up in front of the scale, and they, they said your name out loud and said your weight. And I remember I weighed as much as the guy that was in front of me, and he was probably like six foot tall, and I was like five three. And it was just humiliating, you know. And I remembered after that day, I thought, you know, I'm going on a diet. And I didn't, I start, and I didn't eat. So I lost like 30 pounds, and, you know, and I love that it talks about, you know, I had arrived. You know, the guy started looking at me, and, you know, I just was happy, joyous, and free in, my, in, in being thin, or so I thought. You know, uh, it was all about what I look like. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I truly remember was that I was still that same person, very insecure, and, um, and wanted somebody else to do things for me, even though, you know, I, I rated really high in my class, and I got accepted to this school. And, you know, and when I went to school, I thought, this is wonderful. I bought a new wardrobe, you know. And then, you know, I started eating. 
you know, and I had, and I quit school, and I told the the director that, you know, I was the top in my class, and I said, well, you know, I can't do this career, that's, you know, something happened, which, you know, something did happen, but it wasn't the reason I quit, the reason I quit was because I couldn't stop eating, and I didn't want to go to class, you know, and, and throughout the years, this was a cycle until, you know, I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and, and I got on a plan, and, and I started doing the deal, and I started changing, you know, I did the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and had a transformation that came about through a spiritual awakening for me and that all my attitudes and ideas and all that changed. And I have a life today beyond my wildest dreams. And I can go into a room and I, and I can be the same size. You know, I'll celebrate 20 years this year. And for almost 20 years, I'm the same size. How amazing is that? Um, great stuff, great life today. And so grateful to be on the line and be part of, of you all. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Gina S. Kelly S. Thank you, Rebecca, um, for your service. Kelly S. Recovered in Oklahoma. Um, just wanted to chime in on my experience on this. Um, so my drinking assumed more serious proportions. You know, we know Bill's going to get worse, obviously. But to me, this is a part where, you know, I just think about, you know, where I still had those times, which was a lot of them, but I still sometimes, I could see I was getting worse, but I still thought I had it under control in some crazy sick way. So, you know, I came in OA when I was 20 and did not become a recovered woman until I was 51. So you can do the math of how much of my disease was here in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, right? And so, um, you know, I just got worse and worse. And I remember thinking probably about, um, I, I always thought for real, this disease doesn't affect the people in our lives. I mean, I see how it does for alcoholics and drug addicts, right? But what am I doing to my family? Because, you know, I didn't get it. I really thought I just had a weight problem. And, I mean, yeah, sometimes I missed out on stuff. and I didn't want to do things with them. Yeah, I get that, whatever. But, you know, other than that. So, you know, I remember um, uh, about a year before I became um, really put down the food and started working this program, you know, um, my spouse said to me, you know, we were, I don't even know what we are doing, but she said, you act like you hate me. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is like in Bill's story. And also, I don't know if you guys, that Dr. Alcoholic Addict, I think it's the acceptance chapter now. You know, his wife keeps going, you don't like me. You don't like me. He's like, yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, pretty soon, you're right. I don't like you, you know. And, and then I realized, wow, it's true. I am affecting people like in my family. And I'm acting, people think I don't like them, but I just keep kept eating. You know, that it made me sad. It made me have some awareness, but it didn't fix me. Right. And my disease, my, I just kept on getting worse and worse and liquor caught up with me faster than anything else. And it talks in the next uh, page, you know, when he talks about it, that uh, tan and, and the, and the checks, because I always cared so much what people thought about me, you know, it wasn't just so much the big shotism, right? It's like, even, you know, my disease progressed and, you know, I was bulimic and I was super thin. Then I, I'm not going to get, you know, over a hundred pounds of weight then I did that well I won't eat out of the trash then I did that well then I won't do this then I did that and it kept getting worse but you know what I'm going to still look good right I'm going to have all my hair done my makeup done I'm going to really care I care what you think and I can still fall into that today you guys I can still because you know what I'm doing I'm looking for ease and comfort in anything else but where I need to be doing it my higher power I did it food drugs alcohol relationships sex men 
women, whatever, you know, what you think about me. Because if everybody else likes me, then I'm okay, right? But guess what? I didn't like me. And the only place I can find that ease and comfort today is my higher power. And I'll wrap up with this because I didn't know until I read this book with you guys that I had a spiritual malady and only a spiritual solution. And that ease and comfort has got to come from somewhere else. But as Bill find, as we find out with Bill's story, it takes a while for me to realize that. It took me 30-something years in these rooms. Grateful today I found the solution. Glad to be here. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Kelly S. Sandy S. Hi, this is Sandy S. from Asheville, North Carolina. My disease took on more serious proportions. That was the case for me. Uh, I became a compulsive overeater at the age of 13. Before that, I was a normal eater. Um, but my, I knew from a very early age that it was just impossible being alive, living in my body for whatever reason, uh, the primary addiction for me, which is not an addiction, but is mental illness and food was definitely the solution. And, you know, we're all so different. Like I knew like almost from consciousness, there is something really wrong with me. And I don't know what to do. You know, I just didn't know what to do. And food really saved my life. I've got to say that. And destroyed my life at the same time. Because at 19, somebody told me about throwing up. And I took to it like a duck to water. And that really was what totally, you know, that boomerang that destroyed me. And uh, thank God. OA. That's all I can say is thank God because I'm 71 and when I started OA there was no word for bulimia and I was the only bulimic in the meeting and people were so accepting and I really feel that that's the core of the program for me. Loving the unlovable. It's really so easy to love the parts of me that are good and talented but to love the parts of me that are in so much distress that's really where higher power comes in. And that's where higher power comes in when I can love other people or at their most vulnerable rather than hating myself and hating others. That is definitely not the answer. There is only one answer. And it's just, you know, really seeking my higher power's will, getting clear on that. And I know what my higher power's will is. It's for me to be healthy and to do things that create health. So no matter how bad I'm feeling or no matter how good I'm feeling, I know the right next step or action, and that's to just do the next healthy thing. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Sandy S. Lisa J. Good morning. This is Lisa J., compulsive eater, recovered for this 24 hours. The thing that stuck out to me, there are a couple of things. One of the, the word exhilarating and then in 1929, I contracted Gulf fever, fever, that word. We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen. It just shows me how many times I had wanted a fresh start. And I was so exhilarated to start this new thing and, and feverish about my attempt. And those people who went along with me, they were so excited. They were cautiously optimistic that this was going to be the answer. This was going to be the time that I had success. And instead, every time I just ended up back in the closet hating myself because of another failure, embarrassed, ashamed, 
guilty, unable to overpower this disease of mine. And I was trying to live in self-propulsion. That's what the big book talks about in the story about the actor. I couldn't do it in my own willpower. I had to have this power greater than myself. So thank God for this program and my recovered fellows that were such an example and inspire hope in me by sharing and their service. Thank you today for my recovery and being a part of this meeting. Um, for walking the 12 steps and having a sponsor for all these tools and this map to guide me through them and these recovered people that show me what to do. And um, thank God for the spiritual awakening that I get. It's a promise as a result of doing these steps. And so if I hang in there until the miracle happens, I get the miracle. So if you're here today and you're hopeless and you're feeling like this can't happen, it, it happened to me. It can happen to you. So just keep coming back, get out of the food and, you know, ask God for help. That's it. Ask God for help. I can't do this on my own. I need help. I have to ask for help and I get it. It's there for me and it's there for you. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Lisa J. Linda R., you have a full three minutes if you'd like it. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thanks for your service. This is Linda R. Recovered in South Florida and very grateful to the fellowship and the meeting on the line today. Anyway, um, the reading today, uh, I really related and identified with the progressive nature of this disease and the, and the excitement that is generated from outside sources. And when I came into the program, I had no idea, first of all, about turning my life over to a higher power because I really didn't have a defined higher power to turn it over into in step three. So that took me a very long process to really look for a personal higher power that I could actually experientially turn my life over to when I was having difficulties. And in what they were talking about in this chapter also, they talked a lot about excitement. Like in my life, I like switched around. Like I tried to find different things to excite me. Basically, you know, I can't, it's very hard for me to just be quiet and peaceful and because this is a, a disease of dread and despair, which I have experienced throughout my life and, you know, depression and sadness. So for me, it was like even when the food was down and the mental obsession took over and then I switched around different ways to get excited about life. Um, I'm just so grateful for the steps and for everything in my life today. I just came home from a, uh, a, a cruise and it was like the most charmed experience because I can take my program wherever I go. Like I observed myself through the process of in, in where I live, you know, I live in Florida and like on a daily basis, like working this program, it's very safe and secure. I work my steps. I go to my meetings, you know, I have my fellowship, I sponsor and I do the things because for me, the truth is the excitement in my life is altruistic, giving back to the fellowship. And now I know that I could take my disease wherever I go, but I took my program on a cruise. And it was a new, very interesting experience, observing a lot of addiction and a lot of misery and a lot of sadness. And, on, and it's my only opinion. But anyway, what I'm saying is that this disease can either progress in a positive, in a negative way, or my program could really, really progress in a positive venue. And Thank God my abstinence was strong. I had the best time. I was so happy. 
and I had a, and I got along with other people, which sometimes I'm not so perfect with. So thank you for allowing me to share. And what's fabulous is that when I read the big book and Bill is in the stories or Jim or whoever's there or Ebby or Dr. Silkworth or whatever I'm reading, I'm there on those pages so I can relate and identify. And I'm just so grateful that I relate there and not in other areas. Thanks so much for allowing me to share. Thank you, Linda R. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Tuesday, January 29th, 2019, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 12472. That's 12472. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Devorah S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Devorah S., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.